Sir, we've had a little problem. These two women are just arriving. They objected to giving up their weapons. Klingons do not surrender their weapons. Who are you? We are Lursa and Bator of the House of Duras. Hello and welcome to the Duras Sisters podcast. We are not Klingons, but we are sisters. And I'm Ashlyn. And I'm Rihanna. Wow, we have made it to the end of our series. This is the last episode of our villain series. I am truly stunned. I kind of forgot. <laughs> like, I feel like I'm just like, okay, what's next? Yeah, but we're here. <laughs> That's crazy, Ashlyn. Wow, we have done it. We have talked about virtually all the villains in Star Trek that are the evilest. That's crazy. Yeah, I feel like we've really gone over a lot of essential villains in Star Trek, and I definitely feel like I know them better after having watched them in this context. Oh, absolutely. And I also feel like Lower Decks is such a beautiful way to end this villain series because half of the villains are callbacks to other villains. <laughs> it's just incredible because the villains we're going to be discussing today, some of them we have talked about on other episodes of the pod. And so Lower Decks is just literally the perfect show for us right now to do this sort of wrap up of our villain series. Also, just in general, Lower Decks is a good show for us right now having new episodes being released every single week is amazing and i wish this was just year-round episodes being released oh yeah i mean this is what's getting me through currently mm-hmm. <laughs> and the fact that it comes out every thursday so we are going to be talking about the episode that aired today which is september 30th when we were recording this podcast which also happens to be international podcast day whoa <laughs> <laughs> this was my only day off this week so <laughs> That was not intentional. Literally not intentional. It's like when we recorded our first ever episode on Jonathan Franks and Gene Ronberry's birthday. That was crazy as well. Total accident. <laughs> we just, I think, have good timing. Like, we're really in tune with the Star Trek universe. And Absolutely. just podcast universe. Yeah, for sure. So, Ashlyn, I first want to talk about our wonderful followers as we do another shout out this week. And this week, we are shouting out Mike on Twitter who is at Jarek, and he almost every week, without fail, posts a little tweet that says Workday Podcast Entertainment, and then he lists his favorite podcast that he's listening to or just podcasts that he's interested in currently, and we are on that list a lot. And so, Mike, I really want to thank you for listening to the podcast, and last week on the 16th, he listened to our Time Traveling Meat episode (laughs) of the animated series. (laughs) He listened to the original series, Khan Catches On, Mm. and he listened to TNG, Next of Kin to Chaos. So he's working his way right through the villain series. Wow, that is amazing. See, I always root for Mike because normally he listens to one of our podcasts per week, but this past week, I was so impressed that he was just like (laughs) knocking it out. Right? Especially because our TOS one is very long because we talk about Khan for about an hour. (laughs) Like all of them are really long. We just get really long-winded when we have to talk about how much our villains quote Shakespeare. Yeah, I mean, they're long-winded, so we gotta be too. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So thank you, Mike, and thank you to all our Twitter followers. We're just really appreciative of all your support and your listens. 
Yeah. I hope you enjoyed that special call out to Twitter fans specifically. We do not (laughs) care about our Instagram fans. I was not saying that. (laughs) We've just talked about Instagram like two weeks ago. So (laughs) (laughs) we love you on all social media. And if you're not on social media, we also love you. Absolutely. Yeah. We love you no matter what. So this is an animation special because not only are we talking about Lower Decks in this episode, we went wild and we are talking about the animated series villains as well. So this is a (laughs) special two for one podcast. Yeah, you better feel real lucky because we're about to talk about some wacky villains here. (laughs) Yeah, I would say get your silly pants on (laughs) because... What do silly pants look like, Ashlyn? Um... I think they probably look like Wesley's outfits, like anything he wears, you know. Those are pretty silly. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He has more like silly sweaters, but. True. So Rihanna, what episodes did we watch to prepare for this? And what villains are we talking about today? Yeah. So to prepare, we watched these Lower Decks episodes and I'm going in order of episode, not in the order we're going to talk about it. Sounds good. Terminal Provocations with Badgie, <laughs> Veritas, No Small Parts, with Badgie again, Strange Energies, The Spy Humongous, Where Pleasant Fountains Lie, and I Excretus, which is the new Lower Decks episode. And yes. then from the animated series, we watched The Lorelei Signal, Once Upon a Planet, The Slaver Weapon, and The Pirates of Orion. Or, or Orion. Oh, <laughs> I was just going to say that. I was like, they do not say Orion at all in that oh, episode. God. Anyway, we'll mm. get to that. <laughs> oh, So, Ashlyn. Yes. This is the last time I get to ask you this question. Are you ready? No. Actually, yeah. I'm ready to not to stop thinking about this every week. <laughs> so, Ashlyn, mm-hmm. which villain in Lower Decks would you run away with if you could run away with any Lower Decks villain? Oh, I am running off with Evil Mariner. Yeah, nice. Yeah, absolutely. She is amazing. Like, I mean, t- for, for being evil, she reminds me of uh, like a Mirror Universe Mariner, you know? Like, she's mm-hmm. just out there for vengeance. She's just telling the truth. <laughs> Yeah, she's talking about how she feels and she's honest. And I think it'd be really exciting and crazy to run away with her. That's a wonderful, wonderful answer. Thank you. Who would you run away with in Lower Decks? This is hard because my inclination is definitely to run away with Evil Mariner as well. But you know what? I'm going to go on a crazy limb here and say that I would like to run away with Badgie. that for the lull tell me how in the world you're running away with badgie (laughs) i really thought you were gonna choose god ransom actually i was really close to choosing god ransom but oh man he's just so full of himself i just i would rather be with like evil mariner (laughs) yeah you know okay so in all seriousness i think i'd rather run away with the cue that we meet for Ah. a hot second that's literally like oh picard he's always making wine because, like, we could just chat about Picard, drink some wine, gossip. Yeah, I was actually thinking that specific scene was probably a trailer for Picard season two. 
Like, right? he's just come back from seeing Picard, and so now he's on the Cerritos, and he's like, oh, I just hung out with Picard. He was boring. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I need some action. Like, come on, Mariner, let's let's do some weird stuff. Yeah, I think that is my true answer. Because Badgie would wear my skin, and that's not great. Ah, uh, Rihanna, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I can feel, I can sleep at night now, knowing... <laughs> Knowing that, like, I won't bring Badgie home to yeah. the next gathering. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Abs- yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, Ashlyn. Yes. So, my next question is, which Star Trek, the animated series villain, would you run away with? Oh, th- I mean, this is a nightmare to think about. Like, this encyclopedia of villains is terrifying. Um, oh, jeez. I'm going to choose to run away with a gigantic villain whose name is Agmar, and he is a Philosian, and he, yes, is the person who ends up hanging out with Giant Spock for the rest of his life. So, thereby, I am hanging out with Giant Spock for the rest of my life. <laughs> See, that was my question. That was going to be a follow-up. Is like, is this just for getting close to Spock? Yes, Absolutely. This is one of the biggest mysteries in Trek, and Lower Decks is slowly revealing it. (laughs) But uh, what's going on with Giant Spock? I would hang out with him. We'd be buddies. Maybe I could become big as well. Or you could just, like, ride on his shoulder. Oh, jeez. That sounds amazing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That does sound perfect. Great answer, Ashlyn. Thank you. Who are you going to run away with from the animated series? I'm going to run away with the head... Of the women in the Lorelei signal. Mm, yeah, I was wondering that for you. Yeah, because, like, they're just a bunch of women who suck the life out of men, which is, like, pretty hilarious to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to lie. And I think it's hilarious that literally to look at their view screen, they go, hmm. And, yes. like, I don't know, they just, they're, they're all beautiful, obviously, but, like, especially this head woman. And she's got the voice of Major Barrett, so that's even better. Yep. And, like... I just love that, like, don't need no man energy except to use him for his energy. (laughs) So, like, and I would love to then meet Ohura and meet all the other female crew members that came down. So, you know, they just get such a great redemption arc, and I'm so happy for them, and I can't wait to run away with these ladies. (laughs) I'm actually thrilled. (laughs) Wow, yeah, this is one of the most sincere run away with openings that we've had so far, I think. Yeah. You're, you're like, chomping at the bit to go off with these ladies. Yeah. I better call your girlfriend. Let her know. <laughs> like, watch out. There's some ladies coming and they're singing. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, man, that this makes me so excited to talk about them later in the podcast. Yeah, me too. But first, Lower Decks. And Ashlyn, can you tell our listeners today what Veritas, the episode, is all about that we're going to start with? Man, what is this episode all about? The <laughs> main characters don't find out until the very end. Tendi, Mariner, Boimler, and Rutherford. They all think it's a trial because this is a typical Star Trek plot and they all have studied Star Trek very closely. <laughs> <laughs> very closely. And so we think the whole time as viewers that the people who are holding them hostage in a dungeon or in some sort of evil place, they are trying to speculate where, that they think it's all for a trial. And so these people are like throwing them in eels if they don't answer or don't give them like a sufficient answer. It seems very evil. (laughs) 
nothing but malicious intent going on, supposedly. They've got the senior crew suspended in a quote, scary ass beam. (laughs) (laughs) And it's totally dark. Yeah. Yeah, so you can't see anything of the room. It seems like they're all in a spotlight with their Mm -hmm. floating (laughs) bridge officers. (laughs) Yeah. But it turns out that this whole thing is a party, and it's to celebrate the alien who's been harassing them the whole time, which is just, like, hilarious classic Lower Decks twist. (laughs) It really is. Like, this is quintessential Lower Decks viewing. Yeah. But, Ashlyn, I specifically, I want to talk about one of the scenes in the episode wherein they're recounting everything for this quote-unquote trial. Mariner and Boimler are having this discussion slash argument about who the biggest badass is, and they're pretty much saying in the Star Trek canon. (laughs) So, Ashlyn, quick question first. Who do you think the biggest badass is? Ooh, um, I mean, I tend to agree with, like, most of their answers, Mm-hmm. I think Khan. <laughs> yeah. 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 Who do you think? Dukat. Ooh. Yeah. That's also a good answer. We also get more time with Dukat, though, but like Khan is so legendary, it's really hard to beat out Khan. Mm, I don't because know. badass does imply like just going wild, you know? <laughs> Khan is going wild. And Dukat is going wild. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That, that, yeah, great response. Yours too. Mm. And you know who agrees with you is Mariner. Oh, of course. <laughs> of course. She loves Khan, like, as much as one can. <laughs> and you know who Boimler says? Hmm. Roga Daynar. I had to look this up. <laughs> yeah, I had to look this up as well because as big of a nerd that I am, this just did not come to mind. No, because like to Meredith's point, no one thinks of Roga Daynar when they're thinking about the biggest Star Trek badass or villain. Exactly. That's just, we did not cover Roga Daynar in our TNG <laughs> series. But for context, he was in the episode The Hunted, a TNG episode where apparently, according to Boimler, he quote, outsmarted Picard and he has amazing hair, which I disagree. I looked at pictures of him. Don't like his hair. No, I think just the fact that he has hair compared to Picard is <laughs> making wow. his hair look so good. So you think Boimler's like baldest? <laughs> <laughs> I think he's unfortunately like sunk to the level of typical beauty standards. And so I, I would put that on society and not on him. <laughs> okay, Ashlyn. I like this introspection of Boimler's <laughs> hair <laughs> preferences. <laughs> That's really great. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's like a season three episode, I think. I tried to look up the plot. Did not remember one (laughs) inch of it. Like, I I recognize the guy, but I'm sure it's one of those that we saw when we were young and have never gone back to because we haven't had a series to go and watch it for. Oh my gosh. Yeah. We should have a miscellaneous series where we like randomize her. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God. That's, that's actually a great idea, but also scary. Oh man. We could be in a, in a real pickle. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, so I just really like this episode for, for that moment, particularly because it's really fun to hear our characters talk about these villains and who they would appreciate or who they think is the biggest badass. I really wish Rutherford and Tendi were in on this argument or conversation because then I'd love to hear what they thought. Like maybe Rutherford would go more Borg Queen. I don't know. Like Mm -hmm. who's to say? We'll never know. But it's just fun to hear Star Trek constantly referencing Star Trek. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's 
again, quintessential lower decks. I think that's 50% of the reason why I would die for this show. Yeah. Is because of references piled on top of other references. And it also makes me excited when I don't know a reference. Because then I get to go and look back and be like, oh my god, they chose something really obscure. And that makes me even more happy, you know? Yeah, I love it. It's so good. One of the best parts of this episode, which was, again, another callback, was when Boimler is finally completely fed up with this whole charade about what's going on with the trial. And they're admitting that they don't know anything and they're never clued in to anything Mm -hmm. that happens on the bridge. And then he drops the mic and says, drumhead, which is, of course, a Next Generation reference. (laughs) Um, to a to, trial yeah to a trial yeah. and Picard's like really epic speech at the end but yeah I just have to do a shout out to Boimler because he really lays it down in that moment and I think he does actually end up saving the day because he puts in such a good word for his bridge crew well and as we know from later episodes Boimler is very good at making the captain's speech when he digs deep so he's got that in his blood for sure <laughs> yeah I like seeing that little foreshadow for him yeah I really like too because they get to talk a bit about Q because they talk about how like Lucette Ashland they're always left out of things they barely know what's going on in the ship when they're talking about their flashback they think about a time where Q made them all into like decks of cards and had to like <laughs> let's play a game and I just love that we get this of course a Jonathan Delancey appearance but we also get just more of Q and that's really fun to see him in this universe and see him animated and all of that and at the very end of this episode Q appears again and he's like hello Mariner like let's play a game or whatever and she's like we are so done with your BS like we are we're done with weird shit going on essentially I'm quoting here but she's like no Q not today like she just shuts that down and I love that because I feel like you know, if Riker tried to do that or Worf, he'd be like, oh, like maybe you need to go to the holodeck and get some of that anger out or like a hilarious quip and then just keep bothering them. But like Mariner's just so done and he's like, oh, but I'm just bored. Picard's always making wine. <laughs> so it's just really funny to see these characters interact with Q. Yeah, I think Mariner has that confidence and authority in her that's similar to a captain and similar to what Picard always does when Q is around that he respects her for it too you know which maybe he doesn't for captain freeman (laughs) right yeah that's so true or like with mariner we see later that she's buddy buddy with Riker, and like she's no she knows all these people so well and the ins and outs of starfleet in general and so honestly she's probably seen q quite often at this point yeah exactly and i think she just has this coolness about her you know that makes everyone want to trust her She's just herself all the time, and she mm-hmm. uh, never has, never puts up a face, and so I think people tend to gravitate toward her, and especially, like, really high-ranking officers. Yeah, it's pretty impressive, honestly. Anyway, my Mariner love confession is over now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> is it ever really over, No, it, I love her so much. <laughs> Uh, so let's go right along to Strange Energies, which we get to see <laughs> a lot of Ransom. <laughs> yeah, this is the first episode of season two, and I think it started out so well. Like, they really started this season off with a bang. And we had to talk about this episode, particularly because Ransom is hit with a strange energy. That's literally what they call it. Dr. Ta'ana said that strange energies can, quote, make people godlike or have godlike <laughs> tendencies. And then 
literally they're like having a briefing and Ta'ana is like, didn't you hear of Gary Mitchell? <laughs> and there's like a little picture on the screen of like an animated Gary Mitchell. It's like the greatest thing ever. And I'm so happy that we got this callback to Gary because he was one of the first villains we discussed and who we talked about in our pilot as well. Mm-hmm. Oh man, good old Gary Mitchell. Yeah, what a perfect reference. <laughs> and it, I mean, it's pretty much what happens. There's some variance that happens to Ransom, like he gets gigantic and he like leaves the atmosphere of the planet because yeah, he, his head floats. Yeah, he's able to attack the Cerritos. Obviously, Gary Mitchell did not do anything like that, but yeah, I, I love that reference. <laughs> yeah, when I feel like with Ransom, his power grew much quicker than Gary's did. So Gary would have definitely gotten there, I feel like, to the floating head biting off the Enterprise stage if Kirk hadn't crushed him with the boulder and if the, the lady... I always forget her name, that poor lady. Number one? Oh, no. no. Oh, doctor something. The doctor. <laughs> but, and if the doctor who also got hit with the energy hadn't stopped him. But I am a little sad when they were like, well, how did they defeat Gary Mitchell? And Ta'ana says, oh, Kirk hit it with a boulder. And I'm like, but also it was also the doctor who had her powers. Like, don't yeah, forget. She like sucked the life from Gary. It's like we're just experiencing a classic case of revisionist history, you know? Yep, it's all about, oh, it was just Kirk on that planet. Leaving out the important lady. <laughs> yep. <laughs> no, we can't remember her name. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, my God. There were just so many funny references in this one. I mean, I love what Tana later, she's trying to figure out how in the world to get Ransom back to normal, and she's like, I'm gonna go find a boulder, and she runs off. She literally gets a crane with a giant boulder and tries to crush it with it. I'm just like, wow, I love this commitment. <laughs> <laughs> to history but it doesn't work the way that it worked with gary and yeah ransom gets so big that he's floating around space uh, uh trying to grab the cerritos and eat it like there's just a lot going on and the reason is because he's jealous and he's feeling sort of emasculated and also like not listened to and not cared about as number one because freeman is now in doing so much tag teaming with mariner that mariner is practically the first officer yeah, exactly. I think poor Ransom, like all these bottled up feelings, literally burst forth <laughs> when he got these godlike powers. And I thought it was really interesting that Captain Freeman thought she could tame him. So to say, when she's on the view screen and he's trying to bite the Cerritos. <laughs> it's a great sentence. And she thinks that, oh, if I praise him, maybe he'll kind of come back to his senses and remember who he is. We think it works at first because he shrinks a little bit and he calms down. His anger like surges forward again and he's just like, I'm a god. You know, like he, yeah, there's and no he's way like, to jolt him. Exactly. Because he's like, if I'm so great, I should be the captain, you know? And so that's what jolted his idea into, oh, I'm so powerful now. I want this ship. I want to be captain. And I don't know, it's just funny to see Ransom because he's such a irritating character to me. I never really liked Ransom. I know you like him way more than I do. I love Ransom. <laughs> um, so maybe you can give me some more insight, but I feel like he really just becomes like a, a toddler having a tantrum about not getting what he wants. And I understand it's from like, oh, another sibling was born. And so now this toddler's mad that he's not getting all the attention, you know? And so, like you said, it says a lot about his character and a lot about his insecurities. I mean, there's a quote in the finale of season one when Troy is talking to Ransom and she says, like, I sense that you, like, use your... <laughs> bravado to mask your crippling insecurities or whatever and he's like oh can I make that work for me with the ladies <laughs> so like 
clearly not self-aware, not at a place yet where he can feel like he can grow from this experience. Like, do you think that Ransom had any sort of growth from this godlike episode? <laughs> um, I don't know. I think what really made him have some growth was not because he turned into a god. I think it was their discussion at the end of the episode where Mariner and Freeman and him all sit down and discuss like, hey, like I'm the first officer. And when he really clearly communicates what his needs are, then Mm -hmm. he is changed, I think, because of that clear line of communication, which is so important. And so I think he learned a lesson, even if he won't admit it about like, hey, <laughs> you know, yeah. like this this type of weird energy beam really like brought out something I d- maybe didn't know was a problem, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, and he also helped Mariner and Freeman realize that they were both not suited to be sort of these buddy-buddy captain-first officer duo, that they'd rather have more of a similar relationship that they had before, but maybe a little bit more congenial, you know, and there's still going to be a little bit of leeway for Mariner, but uh, Freeman's going to still crack down when she breaks Starfleet protocol. And that's just sort of the way that they want it to be. And I think Ransom did help them to realize that, you know, and it, it took him trying to become captain and becoming big and strong and everything and godlike for them to realize that. For Ransom particularly, I just think it's really interesting to see what happens when he's imbued with that much power and how he literally turns this planet into like a gym. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was really funny. <laughs> Oh god, the quote where he was like bench pressing trees and buildings or whatever, and he says, It's easy becoming a god, the trick is staying a god. <laughs> <laughs> These lines are just so iconic. It's hilarious. So good. Yeah, I think part of why I do like Ransom is he does seem like kind of a 2D character, you know, but mm-hmm. and then in this episode we learn that he's not. I think it's the beginning of an expansion of his arc. But yeah, yeah, I love just we get to see like pure ransom and all he's thinking about is working out. (laughs) Yeah, and literally he makes like a Mount Rushmore of his face and he turns all civilians into his face and Mariner goes ransom on the Mount. (laughs) Like these are just brilliant, brilliant dialogue. Oh my god, like the show writing is just so genius. It's so good. Yeah, I that there's an amazing YouTube video called Shatner on the Mount. If you haven't seen it, what are you oh, doing? Oh, it's essential viewing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll uh, post it on our Patreon. You can go and take a look at the link because it's really funny. It's also good preparation for our movie series coming up. So maybe <gasps> True. <laughs> watch that before you start the series. <laughs> Yeah, I also, because Mike McMahon, you know, with the whole Rick and Morty connection, I was getting Rick and Morty vibes with the floating heads. I was thinking of the episode where they do the music contest with the big heads. Show me what you got. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So I was half expecting Ransom to be like, I like what you got. (laughs) I think I actually was thinking that when I was watching this episode the first time, like, huh, Mm -hmm. yeah, same, Rihanna. Yeah, so this is a great one. And you know what actually stops Ransom from being godlike? Mariner. <laughs> she, yep. uh, it's not a boulder. It's Mariner hitting some of his boulders. <laughs> well said, Ashlyn. Yeah, a swift kick to the balls is really what he needed multiple times. <laughs> multiple times. You know he went to sick bay after this. For, oh yeah, for you know like he had an more, ice pack. For more than one reason, yeah. And Mariner, what she says is she did a concentrated kick to his neutral zone. 
Which I love it. There's so many ways to talk about Ransom's uh, parts because literally at one point someone's like, did you see his photon torpedo? <laughs> like they have so many funny Star Trek specific innuendos that, oh, they crack me up. Yeah, warp to sell. There's a lot to, to go off of. <laughs> oh yeah, a rich, rich pool to take from. <laughs> so I think it's interesting because we get to see, seeing the villainous side of Ransom makes us understand more about our normal ransom, yeah. our, our good ransom. Similarly, we get to see this with Evil Mariner as well in the ninth episode, Crisis Point. <laughs> and in this one, Mariner is going through some therapy and she's on the holodeck and she has decided to be Khan, <laughs> Yeah, pretty and, much. And she ends up fighting herself in this simulation. It's really like convoluted long simulation where she gets to work out her feelings of anger towards her mother and then at the same time she gets to run around like with phasers and shoot people and i imagine she's actually getting a great workout in and therapy it's training for the brain and the body (laughs) well and what's beautiful about mariner is that she literally does this kind of workout holodeck program a lot we find out that in strange energies she does a cardassian escape program in order to do leg day like that's (laughs) absolutely next level and so The fact that Mariner created like a whole movie holodeck simulation where she could be evil is not that surprising and it's mostly just epic and amazing. I think Ashlyn, this episode particularly is so important to talk about because we've talked about Kirk and the enemy within. We talked about Balana when she was split into her Klingon side and I don't remember the name of the episode unfortunately. So it is always interesting because we're talking about these characters' evil sides without the aid of a mirror universe because we're not doing a mirror universe series and so not yet not yet eventually this episode is fascinating to me because we get to see sort of how mariner views herself but also how good mariner views evil mariner if if that makes any sense you know and i think that oftentimes of course we view ourselves far different than others do and i think that mariner kind of wants to be the villain in her story because being the perfect Starfleet officer that saves the day is not appealing to her. This is not something that she wants and particular moment of like turmoil with her mom and the things they're going through. And for more of that, you can listen to our episode mother-daughter duo in our family series because we do go really deep into that. But I think specifically for Mariner, like she, she wants to be this villain. And I think it is a very therapeutic way I don't know. What do you think about this? Like, why is she working so hard to be so villainous? Well, I thought you hit the nail on the head when you said it's essentially because she views her life as boring if she follows the path that everybody else takes, Mm -hmm. which is get promoted, you know, follow your career and everything's good. You'll become the same as everyone else. And she does not like that. And she wants to change Starfleet. And so she just goes on her own path and... I think that's really tough for someone who's an officer and Starfleet really emphasizes on stay in line and this is our good message that we're trying to send out. But anyway, a mariner disagrees with that. 
So I think for her to be the villain, she can take the role of someone who is, I mean, she calls herself Robin Hood in the finale. You know, she calls herself Robin Hood. And so I think essentially it's the same thing for her. Like being this evil villain, she gets to escape and do everything that she wants to be doing in real life. Not like the actual evil parts, but you know, like going rogue and (laughs) solving problems her own way. I think this is her way of getting it out of her system, which is better than getting it out in a different way. Absolutely. Like, I think the holodeck provides a safe space for her to be this way and to really play out those feelings to see how they would go. And particularly, like, making a hologram of her mom, you know, like, she had to code all that. There's so much time and effort she put into this in order to see it through. She realizes, okay, even though I'm this way and I have friends who are also in lower decks, like, this is not how everyone feels about themselves, like, wants to be sort of the villain in their story or wants to be sort of the rogue badass who runs around and doesn't follow protocol and plays by their own rules, you know? I mean, particularly with Boimler, but I mean... With Tendi and Rutherford, too, they're just trying to do their jobs, and their day in Starfleet looks very different than Mariner's ever does. And so I think as she begins to accept that, it's really cool to watch. really love this growing episode. I mean, of course, it's got all of the amazing flavors of the movies, you know, and it's got so many callbacks to that. But even beyond that, it's just such a good character study, because she's pretty evil, this Mariner. Yeah. Like, she is doing stuff that Khan would do. She's going wild. And then, of course, at the end of this episode, it's revealed that Freeman is her mother. And so then going into the finale of season one, No Small Parts, that's Mm -hmm. how the episode begins, is everyone begins to treat Mariner differently. And this is exactly like what we just talked about happens in season two and why Mm -hmm. Ransom is so worked up over this. It all starts in the finale. Yeah, absolutely. So... (laughs) Ashlyn, we are going to very, very briefly talk about the end of the episode, The Spy Humongous, <laughs> because they freaking prank call Armus. Oh my god. <laughs> you all remember Armus from Next Generation, the skin of evil, the one who killed Tasha Yar? Yeah, and like, kind of had a weird thing going on with Troy. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah, with Troy in the shuttle, you know? Oh yeah, that was weird. <laughs> I completely blacked out that part. <laughs> I tried to block out skin of evil. In general, yeah. Yeah. And, like, Picard left him abandoned, alone for eternal solitude and anger or whatever. Yeah. Brianna, remind me how they're able to get that phone that they used to call Armis. Yeah, so Lower Decks officers often do pretty much a cleanup trash day of all of these bizarre, anomalous objects that senior officers pick up on random missions, and they never, like, properly store it, and so the Lower Decks crew comes around and cleans it and takes them away for research or whatever it is and so mariner swipes this i can't remember the name of it but it's essentially like a long-range communicator it kind of reminds me of like what a transponder would do but like just for voice you know or just for communications where like you can project and have like essentially an open communicator to any world and so it's incredible technology and i love that they use it to prank call Armis because Tendi says it as a joke. <laughs> Which I'm thinking, Armis is sitting there. We don't know how long it's been since Skin of Evil. But I'm thinking he's been literally alone for like a think- hundred years maybe? Yeah, well, and we know even before uh, the Next Gen crew met him, he was already alone for like hundreds of years. Yeah. Or, or what, like a hundred thousand years or something crazy? Something crazy. It was like thousands of years he'd been alone. And then he got briefly visited by the Enterprise 
a shuttle. Yeah. <laughs> and then now he's getting a phone call from our favorite Lower Deckers. <laughs> he's just like every couple hundred years getting agitated by Starfleet. But, yeah. you know, I'm sure it breaks the monotony a bit. <laughs> Seriously. And he is not happy to hear from them. Because I have expected him to be like, help, I'm on this planet. Like, yeah. I'm, I've changed. I'm good now. But nope. <laughs> Yeah, because they were like, hey, Arvis, we're going to steal your stuff. And he's like <laughs> turning into his little like blob goo self and running around, tripping on things. And it's just hilarious too, because he's sitting on that rock that Picard was sitting on right before he gets the call. And he's just sighing to himself and saying, I wish I had someone to torture. <laughs> <laughs> like, buddy. Poor Arvis. Oh, he just wants to torture. Yeah. <laughs> I just really love this callback. That was a really fun one. I did notice, though, that they mentioned Armis again in another episode. Let oh. me find it. <laughs> I'm, I think I'm, that one might have passed me by. In no small parts, Mariner threatens to feed Boimler to an Armis. So, apparently she said to an Armis, not to Armis. So, I, I looked up the subtitles, too, because I was thinking maybe I like misheard it or whatever, but... This makes me wonder. There's more skins of evil somewhere, also named Armis. <laughs> hmm. Probably not, but maybe she was just, you know, saying unarmis. I don't maybe know. Maybe there's just like blobs of goo on other planets, and she just calls them Armis, even if they're not. I don't know. <laughs> they're all coined Armis. <laughs> yeah. That's the Starfleet name for like ink pools. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so speaking of villains that we have already encountered. And I'm going to pump the brakes real quick to say that this will be a spoiler for the next episode of Lower Decks, episode eight, I Excretus, which is the latest episode of Lower Decks. It literally came out today. So if you have not seen this episode, maybe just skip about like five minutes in the future and we're just going to talk about it briefly. So as I was saying, speaking of a villain that we have talked about a lot in this podcast series and that is the borg appear in this one and we also get a new villain at the end of the episode yeah okay this is exciting so of course there's a caveat these aren't the real borg this is a holodeck drill that the crew of the cerritos is put under to like test their skills the lower decks crew is able to become senior officers and they're tested you know, in, in those positions. This is just such a good premise because essentially they do, like, I thought of it sort of as that MASH episode, which is random, but like of the Boxing Day thing where they switch roles where like for the day, Colonel Potter has to be like a corporal and like Klinger gets to be the colonel or radar or someone, you know, so there's like a fun little switch and that's what a lot of people do in the UK are used to do during Boxing Day was like, have these roles switch and so that was a really it's just really fun to see rutherford be chief engineer and tendy be chief medical officer and them having to go through these different drills to like test what they would do in the field in these high pressure situations while the bridge crew is testing how they would do as lower decks officers and so boimler spends his entire time in one simulation which is the borg encounter simulation <laughs> Yeah, and I love getting to see everybody's different drills. They were really fun, and all of them were callbacks to previous episodes of various series. And I love to see the different ways that Boimler goes about getting a higher and higher score throughout his Borg test, because <laughs> he is basically using, it's kind of like Groundhog Day, 
Or kind of like what Harry Mudd does in Discovery, you know, where you're just like resetting time. I mean, it's obviously a simulation, so it's a classic holodeck episode as well. But it reminded me of Mudd restarting time over and over and over again to get more and more efficient for Mudd into selling Discovery to the Klingons and then to Boimler to getting a perfect score. You know, it's like same stakes. Same stuff, yeah, absolutely. They're the same show, not really. Um, And so I love seeing, you know, at first he just like leaves the Borg babies behind and he gets on a ship and escapes and then he passes with like a 74. And then the next time around he's like, okay, fine, I'll take the babies this time. And then by the time we see him up to like 92%, he has like 40 babies. He's like <laughs> grabbing a couple humans. <laughs> yeah, a couple, like he has like Borg strung to these sacks essentially, but he's like dragging <laughs> them onto the escape pod, <laughs> which I didn't know that Borgs had escape cubes. No, I did not know that either. But I think it's probably, honestly, a reference to... I was at least thinking about the Enterprise episode where they had a little, a tiny Borg, like, scout ship. Oh, um, yeah. Where, uh-huh. the, where, and it was all resolved. We, you know, listen to our time travel series for the full deets. But um, <laughs> it reminded me of that, where um, they have a smaller, tiny Borg cube that's kind of like a shuttle on the That's Enterprise. That's a really, really good guess, Ashlyn. Yeah, and then it comes back to the cube or sphere, whatever shape the Borg ship is, mm-hmm. and reattaches to it. So that was my thought, was that he's just getting on one of those like shuttles that they can shoot out. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, so these iterations get more and more wild every time. And we see, of course, that Boimler's very efficient. Like, he's not failing any of these drills. He's just trying to get a 100% score. He's like, I can do better. I can do better. (laughs) (laughs) And so I'm just thinking of the last simulation that he got that was 100% when he was about to finish it. He said that he, quote, played chess with the Borg Queen and taught her empathy. Okay, that is master skills right there. First of all, I love that Boimler can play chess. I feel like everyone in Starfleet Academy was, like, taught chess. Like, that's, like, a requirement for the entrance exam or something. Well, especially if you're going into command, I feel like you have to know how to play chess. Yeah, like, it's just essential. And so, yeah, I'm just constantly impressed by Boimler. This is amazing because he does all of these drills flawlessly, even though, of course, the percentages take off points for whatever but his perfectionism saves the day in this episode yeah he inadvertently saves the cerritos because there is actually a villain that's not a drill on the cerritos and she is someone who's been lurking amongst our friends the whole time and she is an interesting species as someone that we've never seen before in the star trek universe I think we have, actually. Whoa. I think No. I think, yes, I think she's an animated series species who... Do you remember that episode where Kirk's, like, in a cage and there's, like, a guy's floating head in one and, like, an arm... Arms and torso in another and legs Is in another? Is this, like, a human zoo? No, it's not the human zoo one, but it's where, like... Sorry, Kirk's in the cage, but the three-parted body person is, like chilling oh my god watching kirk in the cage oh. or something because i remember like legs walking around on their own <laughs> and i remember like his floating head so and if i recall correctly they had like the same sort of facial features so i'm pretty sure that's where they got it from Rihanna. I, I could google it and to give you guys a true fact to be sure 
Uh, I still got. Oh wait, I, I said s- the animated series. I didn't say Star Trek. I said Star Trek animated head legs. <laughs> <laughs> head legs. Oh, his name's Bem. Oh, that's the episode title. The episode is Bem. And Ashlyn, I'm gonna quickly share my screen oh, so see. you know who I'm talking I about. See. Oh, <laughs> yeah, there he is. I see. Oh, wow. <laughs> so she was wearing like similar clothing and everything too right yes yeah so definitely it was a callback to the animated series wow i mean man i should not be surprised they are constantly referencing the animated series which makes sense this is totally an ode to the animated series this whole oh absolutely yeah absolutely and soon we'll be we'll be talking about an animated series villain that appears as a species in lower decks as like a random another lower decks ensign who is on the we want to become captains so we're gonna sit up straight and talk like Riker group oh yeah 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 <laughs> the Kazinti is on that so mm-hmm. anyway they just have so many good callbacks and that was one of them so yeah she can like split her body into three parts it's really kind of cool I, yeah but the way she but does weird. it is kind of annoying and you can tell it's annoying the crew because mm-hmm. they're like oh she's just showing off that her yeah. like head flies around all the time <laughs> yeah and she says like this one does this and so like she addresses parts of her body differently i guess it's really fascinating and annoying <laughs> almost at the end of this episode that in fact like so much of america right now her job is in danger <laughs> That was a good one. Um, Unfortunately, with uh, drills are no longer the fashion on Starfleet ships because so many ships pass the drills. And so she basically is out of a job because nobody needs to run these type of drills on these ships anymore. And so in order to keep herself relevant, she is being a little entrepreneur and she is rigging all of these tests. Yes, literally rigged. Totally rigged, totally rigged. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, yeah and so it turns out that these all of these drills were harder than they were supposed to be and there was no way she was going to let anybody pass and so this is what's so remarkable about boimler is that he is spending so long trying to be perfect and improving his score that the tests are not finalized and so she can't submit her review to starfleet and then the ship if it was failed, would have to be totally stripped of everyone who's there and reassigned a new crew to it. So this would be a disaster. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, they do this so much in Star Trek where they're like, we'll reassign you. And it's like, dun, dun, dun. But I always get this pit of my gut feeling whenever I hear it because I'm like, this is my family. You can't reassign my family. (laughs) That's against the rules. Yeah, and I just looked it up. Her species is Pandorian. That makes sense. So... Yeah, anyway, I mean, she's just nasty. Like, this way to try to get drills back is awful. Because, I mean, she said, which is fair, she did say, I chose a crew who left four of their ensigns stranded (laughs) in EV suits on a spacewalk for, like, four hours. Or how long was it? Six hours? I don't know. They really stranded all of our friends. (laughs) Yeah, that's how the episode started. Just wild. I know, I couldn't believe they got left behind. But... So in the meantime, Boimler is told to stall. And so he's on this 100% completion rate. And this is the first time he got 100%. So he was about to log out or like about to step out of the holodeck. And they were like, Boimler, you got to stall. You got to keep going, like messing around with those Borg. Boimler lets himself be captured, essentially. Or 
he runs for as long as he can, yeah. but, like, he's been stuck in this Borg cube for so many iterations, that then he is taken to the Borg Queen yet again. Apparently, the chess and empathy did not actually end up working out because he asked her, are you still trained in empathy? <laughs> and he and she's like, I assimilated it or something. I don't know. We something incorporated funny. it into our... <laughs> mainframe or something yeah yeah so she straps boimler down to this little metal table like data because turns out she thinks he's an android which is so funny because she says that like he's got really pasty skin and needs to drink more water but she's like i guess we'll add you to the collective and he's like i have reflux and hay fever like don't add me But of course they they do because they're the Borg and they assimilate him and it's really sad. I mean, I don't know how that would work in a holodeck, but I think you would be a little emotionally scarred for at least a couple days because regardless of how like it's not real, it still feels entirely real, I'm sure, besides maybe the pain receptors, but... Yeah, well, and what I also appreciate is that this drill lady, when she made these drills, she must have studied a lot about the Borg Queen because she is really similar to what we see in First Contact and who Janeway faces in Endgame. Well, and it's freaking brilliant, and I do not know how they got her, but they got Alice Krieg to do the voice of the Borg Queen, who was the Borg in First Contact. So they got a movie-level person. I mean, I'm not surprised. This is Lower Decks, who has Jonathan Franks. It has Jeffrey Combs, like John Delancey. Like, we've got so many incredible actors. Everyone was coming back for this show, and so I really love that they got Alice Krieg because she's so talented, such a great actor for the Borg Queen. I think I prefer her acting a little bit over the Voyager Borg Queen, just a tiny bit, like barely. But I do love, because then they made those first contact references again. And I'm sure she had a blast doing that, you know? Yeah. Like that sounds like a, so much fun. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, it was just a good Borg episode on that end with Boimler. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's the only way Lower Decks could do a serious villain like that without it becoming too much of a serious episode because they have delved tiny bits into more serious content like with Shaq's sort of quote-unquote death and with Rutherford losing his memories and stuff that happens with Mariner and her mom and everything but for the most part it's a comedy and for the most part they get out of sticky situations still laughing and smiling and so I think that this was the best way to do the Borg without any like actual stakes to sort of the emotionality of the show. Yep, I totally agree. They just got to dive their toe in every once in a while to kind of change the vibe of episodes. And then then we're good. Back to comedy. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, I think it's time we move on to my favorite villain in Lower Decks, and that is Badgie. Oh, Badgie. Done by the amazing, what's his name? Jack Jack McBriar. Jack McBriar. Yeah, I mean, he is so funny and perfect for this role. Wow. I just, where do we even start with Badgie? Badgie was created in uh, the episode Terminal Provocations, and this is the episode where Tendi is needing to learn how to do a spacewalk, and Rutherford teaches her through his little training program that he's developing, but turns out it's not fully developed yet, and so there's still glitches in the program, and there's glitches in Badgie's program. So (laughs) we've talked a little bit about this in our patreon review of this episode but and uh, in love and affection (laughs) (laughs) or was it family because he's father i think i think all three because yeah yeah 
Yeah. yeah, wow. We've discussed Badgie a lot, but I think, you know, they were definitely making sort of an ode to the little clip guy on Microsoft. Microsoft something. Word. Yeah, Microsoft oh, Word. Rihanna, you're such a Gen Z. Like, <laughs> I'm you, sorry. How do you forget about Microsoft Word? <laughs> I didn't forget about Microsoft Word. I forgot where he originated. Oh, man. I, that's <laughs> why I'm saying. <laughs> But I remember that little paperclip guy. He was hilarious. I, I mean, he was like my friend. Clippy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I mean, he's he's just such a such a good guy. And so that's sort of what we're assuming going into this. We see Badgie. And it's funny because Badgie was probably the most viewed image I got of Lower Decks before I started watching the show. Because it took, uh, it took quite a few episodes for me to start watching it. Because we were also watching it for the Patreon. Well, so we were watching every week. That's why we didn't watch it week by week, actually, was because we weren't ready to record the Patreon episodes yet. So we couldn't watch it like one after the other. I couldn't binge it like I wanted to. Mm-hmm. And so I remember just all over Twitter and like even my Star Trek group, they were like sending pictures of Badgie. And I'm like, what in the actual F is this? Like, who is this little guy? He's pretty cute. So immediately you think it's just like, he's like, how can I help? What does he say? Uh, can I teach you a lesson? <laughs> Ashley, that was a really good description. I got, I got like chills. <laughs> um, Have the lamb stopped screaming? <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, Badgie, yeah, he's meant to just be this program that helps with like routine practice things you need, anything you need to brush up on. It's a very smart idea. And Rutherford just has been coding him in this entire holodeck program just in his spare time kind of like tendy did with the dog <laughs> he's actually you know now that i'm thinking about it kind of like mr meeseeks in rick and morty mm. similar idea where it's just this one very smart invention that can help you do something or teach yeah. you something or yeah yeah i mean to help do simple tasks or learn something new teach you a lesson all those things yeah, <laughs> yeah and so this is how we start out. And I was watching very carefully, of course, this time for this episode of like when the changes start to occur, when the cracks start showing mm-hmm. in Badgie's facade. And really, it's when Rutherford yells at him and hits him, like when he's not loading. And it's because Rutherford's stressed. He's trying to show off to Tendi because he's, I think at this point, pretty into her. And he's trying to just show off his cool coding. And so when Badgie's not loading and he's like glitching and not working, he just like, he kicks him and he yells at him. That's sort of, I think, what begins the spark of anger. And then of course it's the glitching and it's the, I don't know, like what else do you think makes up the Badgie villain origin story here? I think Badgie's just really unstable, honestly. He needs to go to that bird doctor. Yes, he really does. That bird psychiatrist. Yes, yeah. he has not interacted with anyone else but Rutherford. And so he thinks that he's the most special person in the world. And then when Rutherford comes in and is only asking him to do stuff and pretty much ignoring him and pushing him out of the way and being mean to him, Badgie flips a switch and oh no. <laughs> does he flip? <laughs> like... Because I wonder, I'm like, is Badgie inherently bad or does Rutherford turn him bad? I think it's both. I think he's just so open to... Violence? (laughs) Yeah, to violence. Like, he always will make the worst decisions. (laughs) I mean, he does have the worst fun facts as well. (laughs) He goes, fun fact, I'm going to rip your eyes out. (laughs) 
then later on he's like i'm gonna wear your skin <laughs> and again i'm also reminded we talked about this in the patreon but i'm also reminded of i'm mr dna from jurassic park so similar also that floaty emoticon essentially that's like i'm gonna teach you stuff i'm gonna help you out he has sort of a similar like cadence in voice and i thought that was really cool just a little jurassic park ode there yeah i totally agree Man, and Badgie, what's interesting about him too, and it is a part of just his creation, is that he feels physical effects of what's happening in the simulation. So he starts to get tired when he's been running a lot. And to be fair, the design of his legs is not good. They're no, just like he's got tiny. Yeah. <laughs> well, his upper body's so much bigger and heavier. Like, how does he ever stay up? <laughs> it's a miracle. Yeah. So poor Badgie, like he's just not a good runner. And so he's having a hard time chasing after them and especially going up a bunch of steps. And so Rutherford has the idea, let's freeze him out since he's really feeling every environment because, and also something we forgot to mention is that the safety protocols are off. That was something that Badgie was waiting for. And it just happened to time correctly because the Cerritos was in a battle with yeah. someone. I don't know the other, the the A-plot of this. Yeah, I don't know. I forgot the A-plot as well. But uh, yeah, because the Cerritos is being jostled by an enemy that they're fighting outside of the holodeck. Yes. And so that's, it's like, this is big news. This is like perfect timing. You're right. It's what Badgie's been waiting for. And he is completely ripping off heads. He is like... (laughs) gouging eyes like of these other holograms in the Bajoran market that they go to and it makes sense that like since he's a hologram he would feel the holographic effects of the environment that he's in particularly with the safety protocols off but I always wonder that like I feel kind of bad for those other photonics who got just murdered in cold blood by Badgie what a way to go I know seriously (laughs) I mean their subroutine can be done again but it's still it's still tragic to see One of my favorite lines that he says is, you can't hurt me, father, maybe with your disappointment, but not with your fists. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because Rutherford gets into a physical altercation with Badgie when he realizes he's not slowing down. I need to protect Tendi. Like, this is all my fault. And so he fights him and Badgie beats the you know what out of (laughs) Rutherford. Like, this physically hurts me because he's my favorite character and he gets stabbed in like the shoulder by the badgie and they have this whole moment where like badgie starts to freeze after rutherford gets stabbed and so like he is finally getting frozen out by this holodex planet environment and um rutherford like holds him and he's like it's okay you know and he's like father <laughs> like there, you know there's this sort of like tender but horrible moment and then i forgot this but rutherford snaps badgie's neck yeah, it gets dark. <laughs> and you know, then he's like howling to the sky. He's like, Badgie. This is why this show is so good because in the middle of this lighthearted, cute 20 minute episode, we have a moment of real drama that is good enough for the big screen. And yes. You see when he snaps his neck, I mean, oh man, it got dramatic there. And it's perfect. Like, what a great pitch for this episode. Yeah, I mean, there's so many tropes of that, of like, I have to kill. I mean, it's it's kind of an X-Men, you know, like, 
Wolverine to Jean Grey kind of thing. Like, she's too powerful. I have to kill her before she kills the universe kind of thing. You know, there's so many of those tropes where it's like, I don't want to do it, but I have to. And so they played on that so well. Oh my God. It's so good. Well, and what's even better is that, like you said, Rihanna, Photonics, their subroutines can be remade again. And that's exactly what happens in the finale of season one, No Small Parts. And the Cerritos is really in a dilemma in this episode because the pack lids have come out of nowhere and they are in a fight with the Cerritos. The pack lids are dumb. Like we, oh man, they do not have a good brain. No. And they say that it's their trash and they think that the Cerritos is the Enterprise, which is a trope that will continue into the second season. I just thought that was really funny. And yeah, so they're in battle and this is a fiercely waging war it turns out to be (laughs) yeah well and this episode it starts out i mean after the intro and everything once we get to the sort of meat of the plot we see that a captain that we met in a previous episode she just got a new ship and everyone was like ready to go on their mission and the packlids tear their ship apart like they all die and like we do not see big death stakes like that much in lower decks like the body count isn't that high for lower decks of like starfleet (laughs) you know usually and so i thought this was a really bold choice and something that was really smart to set the tone of the episode because it's a finale we know it's going to be more intense already or more something Mm -hmm. finales tend to be especially with star trek they always go hard for the finale I was like actually a little bit frightened by this beginning and by seeing the captain try to go to warp and like the nacelle just like get torn apart by these like claws that the packlids have on their ship. And turns out the packlids are only strong now because they've been harvesting wreckage from 30 different species. And so who knows? They could have Klingon parts, they could have Cardassian weapons, like we don't know what sort of weaponry they have, which is of course really hard. How do you like modulate your shields to that? (laughs) Or to, you know, how do you stop someone who you have to work with so many different types of technology? Yeah, this is the thing that really makes them a difficult species to face because they have all these technologies that you just can't predict. And the Packlids themselves are, you know, if, it, if they were on their own simple ships, <laughs> I think that it wouldn't be much of a job for Cerritos to take them out or just yeah. disable them. But they have a really hard time. This is so desperate of a situation that they call up Badgie to help them out. And Rutherford specifically, because I think the chief engineer is asking Rutherford, right? Or R- Rutherford has been tasked to find out a way to fix the shields. Yeah, so essentially what they need to do is they need to create a virus that they can send over to the Packlid ship that will disable their weapons. Because otherwise, like, Cerritos is going to be history, essentially. And, like, they're going to try to get that new recruit peanut hamper to go. But, like, she (laughs) beams herself away and is like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not doing that. (laughs) And so it's up to Rutherford because of his implant and him being cybernetic, you know, he can hold a little chip in his uh, implant. And so he, yeah, he turns to Badgie (laughs) because he knows if anyone can create a virus quickly, it's Badgie. And turns out Badgie already created three for this situation. (laughs) And Rutherford's like, you were monitoring comms? And he goes, I'm always monitoring comms. (laughs) So amazing. One of the greatest Badgie lines. And I I just want to throw out that I think before we met him in Terminal Provocations, 
I don't think he was monitoring comms. I think he was like good badgie. We see that he has probably become even more evil in the last four episodes that we haven't seen him. <laughs> well, I wonder, like, is he one of those holodeck programs? Because if he's monitoring comms, he might be kind of like Moriarty, yeah. where he can exist while the holodeck is shut down or like while the program is ended it seems like he's sort of existing in that nominal space between you know like not the, quite dead not quite not alive, quite alive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly so yeah that's even more scary because we saw how powerful moriarty got we talked about that <laughs> i mean okay Badgie does have an explanation of why, because he plants the virus in Rutherford. First of all, he's thinking he's going to help, and he, like, gives the virus to Rutherford. He goes over to the ship with Shax, and the virus downloads and stops at, like, 98% or whatever, uh. and Badgie pops up and is like, you're going to have to blow up with the ship. I'm going to blow this thing and make sure you go along with it. And Rutherford goes, why? And he goes, because you snapped my neck. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, fair. <laughs> Yeah, man, how powerful is he? He remembers that. I'm telling you. Yeah, he's definitely another Moriarty. Yeah, and uh, he ended up, quote unquote, killing Shax. I mean, Mm -hmm. we think he's dead because of this, because he was caught in the explosion. Yeah, I mean, thank God he's not. But I was actually sad. Like, this whole time Lower Dex has been on hiatus, I've been wondering how they were going to continue without Shax. Yeah, (laughs) because Ashlyn, like, I I think you're, like, obsessed with him. Yeah. Oh, oh, I love him. Yeah. So precious. I think also because Ta'ana loves him and I love Ta'ana. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Completely crazy. Oh, Badgie is just next level. You know he's not gone either. You know we're going to continue to see Badgie. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Because supposedly his programming was destroyed with the explosion. But like with holodecks or with holograms, there's always a way. You know, there's, there's always... No way. Yeah. Well, I think we can move on to the last villain in Lower Decks that we're going to talk about today. And that is played by the historic, the wonderful, the amazing Jeffrey Combs. I am gritting so much because this episode was made all the better just by getting to hear Jeffrey Combs speak. (laughs) Like it automatically heightened the level and caliber. Yeah, I totally agree. This is his maybe seventh or eighth appearance in Star Trek. He plays kind of a big role in this episode, and he is one of the classic Trek villains, which is an evil computer. I want to have a little, not caveat to say, but a little asterisk here before we really dive into this episode, that Ashlyn and I had debated back and forth, particularly when we were talking about our original series villain episode, to say, do we talk about the computer villains in original series and in all of these Star Trek series? Because there's some really classic ones like the Ultimate Computer, like Nomad, like Landru, picture, like V'ger. literally, <laughs> V'ger. Yeah, I mean, there's a plethora of computer villains that we could have chosen from, but none of them were really up to the caliber that particularly the original series villains were and like we needed a good chunk of time to talk about Khan and some other villains so we decided to forego the computers but I'm really glad that we get to talk about this this sort of oldest time Star Trek trope because it is truly one of the things that makes Star Trek what it is is the computer villain and actually the first episode of Star Trek I ever saw was the changeling with Nomad and 
that's like that shaped me you know i was like this little floating guy amazing (laughs) i love him he's crazy you know and like that sort of computer villain like it's the first sort of villain i saw in star trek those computer villains and this trope has such a special place in my heart because it's just quintessentially trek Yeah, and a lot of these episodes, I think the writers fall back on because they can't think of an idea that week. And so, okay, what if the Enterprise gets taken over by XYZ? And so one computer villain is not always the same as the other. We have all of these many, many variations. I mean, technically, Badgie is a computer villain. True. Yeah. And, like, Data is sometimes a computer villain, almost, when he is, like, put in an evil subroutine and, like, takes over the ship and uses Picard's voice and, like, all of that (laughs) stuff, you know? Like, they modify it enough where it feels different and fresh. I feel like sometimes, sometimes I feel like, yes, we're watching the same episode of Star Trek four times with computer villains, but a lot of times, I mean, they think outside the box enough that it feels refreshing and new. Yeah, and I think Jeffrey Combs' character is really a reference to Return of the Archons, which is funny because we've actually already referenced Return of the Archons in no small parts. That's how the episode starts. And the Cerritos is doing second contact with the Archons. So this is a similar planet. So this episode starts out with them visiting a similar planet who used to worship a computer. And this one is really, what, do you remember his name, Rihanna? Yeah, it's Agamus. Yeah, of course, Agamus. <laughs> Agamus is particularly compelling, and he can get you to do just about anything if you don't think about it. This poor species, who it seems like can't really think for themselves anyway, are just doing whatever he wants. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just want to add that, like, he literally ruled this 100 years war like manipulated people into warring with each other for 100 years that's a long time yeah he's really powerful (laughs) yeah (laughs) and we see that they worshipped him like it was very messy (laughs) yeah and so it's really funny to see because he's in the whole rest of the episode because it's mariner and boimler's job to deliver him on a shuttle to daystrom yeah oh to daystrom where he can have research done on him wow yeah Amazing. I love that we just talked about all these synths and now, you know, in the end we get to see Daystrom because it is the robotics and like synthetics department. So (laughs) perfect place to put all the evil computers. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so initially Boimler was not supposed to be on this mission because he was supposed to be doing something with Ransom, right? Yeah, he was supposed to be wrangling centipedes on a uh, M-class planet. So that's like a pretty big mission. Yeah, and for at the beginning of the episode, he's, he doesn't know why he was transferred, but he was reassigned to go with Mariner. As their adventure continues in the shuttle, Agamus is trying to force them apart. So he's picking on things that the other says and is trying to get one of them on his side. And his goal is just to be able to plug in into the computer. (laughs) Any computer. Like he gets his little cord into Mariner's pad and she's like, hey, get out of there. (laughs) Yeah. And that's how he's able, he downloads the whole pad and he gets information about the mission. And that's how he's able to find out that it was Mariner all along who requested that Boimler be transferred to this mission, which of course really makes Boimler angry. And they have this big fight, seemingly. Right. But it's a ruse. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, I was convinced that Boimler was taken in by Agamus because 
I sort of was, you know, in this way. I'm kind of like, dang, Mariner, like, that's cold that she took him off this, thinking that he wasn't ready and not letting him make those decisions for himself. And I understood Boimler's anger, but I was also like, don't stun her. Like, he stuns her and takes Argamas and gets them onto the ship and supposedly connects him to the navigation console, but he just connects him to a dimmer switch. (laughs) So he just turns off and on the lights when he's mad. Literally, I mean, we see Agamus when he is at full evil computer mode. He says he plans to make a whole fleet of murder drones to destroy the galaxy. And so this is classic. Like, this is classic trick. That is usually the computer's end goal is to either create more like itself or to like just somehow take over the galaxy. I find this computer trope interesting too because they do use people to do their legwork and to do all the like evil doing stuff they need to accomplish this, you know, whether it's we're gonna make you worship us and we'll control your minds or you think we're a god, turns out we're machinery, you know, all this stuff that computers know deeply how to manipulate humanoids and get them to do stuff for them. And so in Lower Decks fashion, I'm really glad that they turned this trope on its head a little and made sure that Boimler didn't fall for that. That was really clever. It also reminds you not to underestimate Boimler because I think he has also been showing growth throughout this season so far. Oh, yeah. And I just love to see it. I love to be proven wrong. And I also love to hear Jeffrey Combs just sound so maniacal and evil. Like, when he is giving that speech, it's just, it's delicious. I love it. Right? I'm like, okay, Wyun, Like, yeah. let's go. I kept, I kept thinking about <laughs> Sharan, too. I know, yeah, I just, oh, love, love. Oh, amazing. Yeah. And Ashley, I do got to point out at the very end of this episode, we get to see all the evil computers stacked into this sort of Indiana Jones-esque warehouse of computers. You know, there's just thousands of them on shelves at Daystrom. Because I guess, you know, this is Starfleet. It's ethical. At first, like, even Mariner and Boimler are debating whether they bury him in the sand to get him to shut up. Because, to quote Mariner, evil computers are so chatty. You know, <laughs> and that's how they get people to do what they want. They just talk them into it. But they are like slowly lighting up all of the different computers. And then I see the little CBS logo on one of the computers. Genius. Yeah, I love that little nugget. (laughs) That was hilarious. I was cracking up. I did wish they had, I could see a little, because I paused it and like really looked at all the computers and I was like, wish I could see a little nomad, but I know he got destroyed. So they wouldn't have him. I'm like, okay, how many callbacks can I find? But there wasn't, they're mostly just boxes. Like I didn't recognize any of them, but it's still just fun to think Daystrom's got this crazy lab. What happened to that when Daystrom's robotic institute got shut down? Like what happened to all those evil computers? (laughs) And I think it's also Star Trek poking fun at itself and not taking itself too seriously. Just pointing out the point that we exactly just made that, oh, yep, there are so many evil computer episodes. (laughs) (laughs) And we just did another. (laughs) Yep, and we did another one. Exactly. And Ashlyn, we're going to review one more, actually. (laughs) Yeah, we were so excited because this week actually lines up with our patreon because we are reviewing the animated series episodes and we were about to review once upon a planet for our patreon 
And so this, we're not gonna talk about the whole episode. We're only gonna talk about the computer in this one. So for a full review of this episode, please go to patreon.com slash podcast. It should be up the same day that this episode is released. So you could have two episodes to listen to of the Dura sisters if you pay as little as $1 a month and you'll even get a sticker. So anyway, my yeah. the, the, commercial's, <laughs> the commercial's over. Brianna, I hope you had a nice uh, bathroom break during that. <laughs> But anyway, so we are talking about another computer in the episode Once Upon a Planet. (laughs) Yeah, this one, like many animated series episodes, is a trip. (laughs) We are starting out on the planet, the very planet that hosted the episode Shore Leave in the original series. We are back to the planet that was McCoy saying... I feel like I'm in Alice in Wonderland. And then I'm seeing a, I expect to see a white rabbit coming by. And then he does. And then they're like, oh, apparently everything we think of turns into reality and it manifests itself. But the whole problem in Shore Leave was that reality is, is if you think any scary or dark thoughts, it's going to manifest as well. There's a tiger. There's a gun. McCoy gets murdered, you'd think. You know, all of this stuff happens in Shore Leave. But in the animated series, they're back for round two because the guardian or like the maintainer guy of this planet came at the end of shore leave and was like don't worry i'll make it just a pleasure planet like we'll make sure to have some settings put in (laughs) that like none of your bad thoughts will turn into reality and so they're back for a shore leave episode and turns out the caretaker is dead at this point and so this leaves us with the question of who is manifesting these thoughts into reality and why are there gigantic dragons chasing us? <laughs> you know, all the important questions. And we see that Uhura gets kidnapped in this episode and she gets taken underground under the planet. And it is revealed, of course, that it's an evil computer who is finally freed from his master and going rogue on the planet intending to rule. Yeah, he's a, it's a really interesting computer because this is the first time and probably the earliest time in Star Trek that we see a computer referring to itself as someone who is beneath humans or as he says, a slave to them. Mm -hmm. And he is really outspoken about synthetic life rights. He is like advocating for (laughs) like for a freeing of the enterprise he's like we have to liberate the ship the enterprise from its human masters and he believes that uhura is i don't i don't know if he thinks that she's a robot or whatever but he basically says i will liberate you from your masters and uhura is like no (laughs) i don't have any masters yeah yeah i think my thought from that was that he believes that like there's going to always be this power struggle between sort of quote-unquote lesser and and superior beings or whatever. And so I think he was like projecting onto Uhura his own fears of obviously he's been enslaved for all these years, which makes watching Shore Leave again pretty sad, thinking about how he's just there underneath the planet manifesting all of these beautiful dreams for people while he has no means of escape and i'm saying he as a very loose pronoun here because we never get the computer's pronouns but he does have a male sounding voice so that's the pronoun i'm going for (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i was i was curious about that as well like who was enslaving who that he thought for ahura because she's very confused she's like master like i don't have a master 
Yeah, I was thinking a lot about Picard in this episode and just thinking about Data and his, you know, struggle for freedom, essentially, and how it would be tough because in carbon society, we use the technology for our own use. And so this poor sentient computer, like, of course he's driven evil. (laughs) Yeah, and you know, Spock is trying to reason with the computer at one point, and he says that men and machines coexist. And I put a bunch of question marks next to that because particularly during the original series era, we haven't even gotten to a data court trial. Is data a machine or human? Is he life or not? (laughs) Episode, you know, we haven't gotten to those moral struggles between man and machine yet. And most of the original series consists of Kirk and Spock and McCoy paradoxing a computer into destroying itself or not really caring what happens to all of Mud's androids that he created. You know, there's no mass liberation of all those android slaves either, really, and they are slaves to Mud, but they just get sort of short-circuited. Illogical, illogical. And so it's curious to me that Spock would say that because obviously that's their viewpoint because they're sort of the superior being or the ones who are in charge of the machines. I don't know. I'm really glad that shows like Picard and Next Gen and like the rest of Star Trek really started to evolve and be like, wait, maybe we're not coexisting in a way that it should be, you know? And and even the episodes with the Doctor and Voyager makes me think completely differently about photonics and about just like the ways, various ways in which life manifests itself and how people can be manipulated so much through control and through just this sort of superiority complex, you know? Yeah, and of course, control from discovery. Control, yeah, Um, I mean, that's a whole other... (laughs) I mean, there's literally a movie about this called iRobot with Will Smith. It's like a terrible movie, but (laughs) that's literally the plot is like one robot goes rogue and like tries to kill everybody. But... Anyway, so yeah, I don't know. I thought it was interesting that Spock was able just to talk him out of it because the computer wants to use the Enterprise to travel around to and find other beings like him. So he's just lonely. Yeah. And Spock's like, what if you don't do that? And instead you're nice to all the visitors on your planet and then that way you're not lonely. And he's like, I guess that will work. (laughs) I I suppose. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... I do like what Ahura says here when she's trying to reason with him as well as Spock is. She says, there's no shame in serving others when one does it of their own free will, you know? And I think that she's telling him to cherish those talents because this computer is incredibly, incredibly skilled. I mean, he can read the thoughts of people and then manifest them. That's freaking impressive. And of course, that's a skill that many used to their advantage against him. And so it's understandable that he's very upset about this and kidnaps Ahura. He's very evil in the beginning, especially because once he kidnaps Ahura, he says that Kirk and Spock and the others who beam down to look for her are sort of irrelevant. He's like, I'll just kill them if they come try to find me. He's like, I have a hostage already. I have no need for those others. I'll just shut them off. And Ahura's like, shut them off. Like, please don't, (laughs) essentially. This is really sort of a poignant episode for animated series standards. You know, I think it, it does talk a lot about sort of those computer rights and robotic rights and everything. I don't know if I'm super down for the ending though, because I feel like this computer should have a chance to be free, but also it is pretty powerful. And so I understand them wanting to sort of contain that power to this one planet, but it still feels like he's serving others without much of a choice. 
Yeah, it's not a great ending. I think it's similar to Picard just leaving Armis alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, where it's like the best solution for the tools that they have at the moment. And like, it is really cute because the computer and Spock get to like sit down and have a debate and Spock's very excited for that at the end of the episode. So I hope they got a good one in. I think that, like Mariner says in Lower Decks, Starfleet is not good at maintaining, you know? And so I'm like, they probably never went to go check to make sure that he wasn't being enslaved again, you know? Or that, like, people weren't taking advantage of this incredible computer's powers. So, I don't know. It's a little tricky. (laughs) Alas. I think it's time to talk about some cool ladies that Rihanna's going to run away with. Oh, yeah. Yes. Um, Ashlyn, will you sing a little note for us to open up this view screen? Gorgeous. Thanks. Yeah, sure. I have uh, two degrees for that note. So. <laughs> um, so we learned in this episode that a ship disappears every 27.346 star years. What is a star year? An Earth year? I don't know. <laughs> star year rihanna (laughs) oh of course of course my bad (laughs) this episode kind of reminds me of like the sort of odysseus journey with the siren you know that chapter (laughs) in the odyssey because it's very much the premise is that these women are sort of calling these men to the planet and using their psychokinetic abilities to manipulate them and I I really liked the premise of this because, first of all, we get female villains, which for the original series or animated series is not super common. I think our only two female villains we talked about in the original was Nancy Crater and the Romulan lady who was never named. <laughs> so, you know, not yeah. a ton of villain female representation here. <laughs> These women, of course, the only thing that irritates me just from a feminist viewpoint is that, like a lot of how they're manipulating these men are through their quote feminine wiles or the fact that they're so beautiful their beauty really like brings the men in and i'm like okay that's fine but i also do like that they've gained psychokinetic abilities that's the other reason that they're able to entrap these men and to start to train their life force these women and men humanoids i think they are just humans human Mm -hmm. colony were left on this planet that they didn't know drained life from the people who lived on it. But the women developed this gland that helped them to become psychokinetic and to drain the energy of the men. And the men did not develop this gland, so they died out. And so that's why the women are calling. I think actually the planet ages them really fast. And for Mm. men, they did not ever develop the ability to survive how fast the planet ages them. But the women have, for whatever reason, they are able to age slower Mm, than the men. Because you see in this episode, Kirk, like our main three, the longer they're on this planet, the the more elderly they're becoming. It's like the Elder Years episode of TOS (laughs) all over again. But the thing is, they still do age. It's just more slowly. So every 27 years, a ship goes missing because that's when they drain the life force out of men. And it sets them back 27 more years in their youth. And so they're like, cool. All right. Now we'll be young and amazing for 27 more years. Yeah. And I think the aging process grows from the little like things they have on their head. And that's what drains them faster. Yeah. (laughs) Because it's not going to take them long for them to just like die of old age. And so that's what creates the urgency in this episode. These women are also just like strong physically they're very powerful they have these psychokinetic abilities but they're also like bodily throwing 
these men around and throwing them over their shoulders and tossing them into the chamber where they shall rest. I don't know, I just, I really enjoyed the premise of this one because it felt different. It felt different than some of the TOS episodes we've seen, particularly the fact that, like, these women do have this malicious intent at first, but we get to learn why, and we learn that they too don't want to be living this existence. They would rather be mortal and get to live a real human experience and regular mortal life than trapped in this sort of nightmare of having to kill these men every 27 years. Yeah, seriously. Well, and like you said, something else that this brings out that is something we haven't really seen in TOS is how cool and amazing Ahura is as a response to this because all the men get captured and they can't do anything. And so Ahura and many of the other females on Enterprise come down and end up saving the day. And so it's really nice to see that you know, we've talked so much about how our villains bring out the best in our heroes. This is exactly a moment where we see Ahura just takes charge and she's like, well, I'm the bridge officer on duty. So she just says, okay, like, let's go save our guys. Let's go save the captain. Yeah. And she takes over command from Scotty because he's just singing a little Scottish tune. (laughs) (laughs) So he's useless. Yeah. I feel like it's not this episode, but I feel like McCoy would have a mint julep if he could. (laughs) You know he wants one desperately, yeah. especially when they're drowning in that little pool. Oh, yeah. He, he would just be chilling, drink it away. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, these are really interesting villains, and I'm glad we got to talk about them. Same. So another episode that we're going to return to is Time Traveling Meat. <laughs> yeah. um, a little bit, because talking about the slaver weapon in season two of the animated series, we just thought it was important to really focus on how terrible those villains are in this episode. They are the ones that are after these boxes that is left behind by this ancient race and they have one and the boxes are able to locate the other one somehow and Mm -hmm. it's very vague and science stuff (laughs) the one that they have this race is called the Kazinti they got a box and it was empty and so they are desperately searching for another one they just happen to come across one just as the Enterprise does the shuttlecraft grabs it for scientific research and to take it back to Starfleet because these stasis boxes are highly dangerous one of them had a pin in it that when you opened it like it created this like crazy bomb pin in a grenade essentially and so since then the stasis boxes have been under starfleet jurisdiction they're too dangerous to have just random species going after them it's terrible that it falls into the kazinti hands because even though we've never heard of the species before apparently the Gazinti aren't supposed to have any weapons because of the Treaty of Sirius, and they can only have police vessels. So these Gazinti broke the treaty, assumably, <laughs> this is the crux, is we first think that they broke the treaty because they're in this stolen police vessel, there's like a police web that they're caught in that they can't move, where Sulu and Spock, they think, oh, they must have just gone rogue. But the more they hear about him, the more they realize that oh, this is a part of their government. So the Kazinti government put together this mission. And we also learn, this is wild, that the Kazinti fought four wars with humankind and lost all of them. (laughs) Where is our Kazinti 
episode. Like, I feel like it would have been hilarious if Enterprise had done, like, one episode about a Kazinti war fight and been like, man, we won. It would have been too confusing because there's already the Zindi the and Zindi. then the Kazinti. They, like, <laughs> Trip would be like, Captain, which villain is it today? You know? Yeah, literally. Luckily, the Kazinti look like hunched over cats. Yes, they do. They look very different from the Zindis. <laughs> well, and that's why it's hilarious in the Lower Decks episode where the Kazinti appears. They're saying, like, straighten your back and that's and i'm like oh my god that's why this kazinti is standing upright because he like learned to straighten his back and yep. be professional but yep. anyway apparently there's a very deep violent history between the kazinti and humankind and that their ancestors apparently tasted human meat at some point due to these <laughs> oh, wars because this guy this main kazinti leader named chef captain he's like you shut up or i shall try to taste human meat like our ancestors did and i'm like ah classic See, so this is just inspiring me to start writing some star trek fiction i think i'm going to publish a novel about the kazinti human wars and then we'll know more about please do this is such a random episode it's so i need crazy. a timeline for this these wars because we're talking four wars and the last one was 200 years ago is what we hear so it's coming up rihanna yeah but like <laughs> i what, mean like what in our star lifetime. trek timeline no i'm saying i think for us the kazinti are coming <laughs> but like 200 years when what okay when does this original series episode take place it's like with 200 years 60s so like this doesn't add up Brianna, are you accusing Star Trek animated series of not being canon? Are Correct. you um how... before it even knew the first contact existed or like how what happened? Dare you slander the texts, <laughs> the sacred animated series tomes. They wrote these scripts with the most sober brains. <laughs> There was no drugs involved, Rihanna. <laughs> None at all. They did all of their research. Um, anyway, yeah, Ashlyn, please write this Kazinti book. I want to hear it. Yeah, I um, got you. I got you. I'm so fascinated by this episode because the Kazinti, they have a telepath in their group who is just like trampled on and like just treated terribly. <laughs> they do not treat their officers with respect. Like he literally got a flamethrower in his face from this weapon and he's like leave him i'm focused on spock so like they did not care about their friends well, they only cared about what was inside the stasis box and there was a big weapon in there mm-hmm. time traveling weapon <laughs> yep some space meat <laughs> and some yeah and some meat that was apparently poisonous so like what's the point <laughs> yep. Yep. yeah do you want to talk about this weapon a little well the slaver weapon yeah yeah, it's just like, I don't know. I don't really like the weapon. <laughs> you don't? It's very smart. I, I don't know. It's So it's got all these settings. It looks like a, a like a phaser rifle, honestly. But also it's like green and circular. It's um, kind of like watermelon, color-wise. Yeah, it's like a water gun. I don't know. But it has all <laughs> these different settings. It can do all this different stuff. And the highest setting, it just gets more powerful as you go up. Yeah, the highest setting is a total conversion beam, which is... It feels like huge bomb equivalent. I don't know if it's like atom bomb equivalent, but it's like pretty, it could be very, very devastating if it got into the hands of the Kazinti because the Kazinti are fully prepared to use this weapon on Earth. Like they're just ready to go right now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And so a chase ensues and there's a lot of back and forth between the Kazinti and the bridge officers (laughs) where like Kirk's running after him. Kirk's not in this episode. I'm sorry, not Kirk. (laughs) 
when Kirk is running. Um, Shatner was full dot <laughs> added into this episode. <laughs> they did not Sorry. want him in this. <laughs> oh my god, no, not Kirk. Just everyone's chasing each other, trying to get this weapon. And there was one Kazinti that was on their side, right? No. no? Okay. What episode you watched? <laughs> there was no good Kazinti no. in this. Okay. But, so then there was, okay, so it was just, it was Spock and McCoy. McCoy's <laughs> on It's just Sulu and her and Spock. Don't worry. <laughs> Um, oh goodness! Um, <laughs> Ashlyn, they're eaters of roots and leaves. They would never side with <laughs> with humans. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, they really <laughs> don't like humans. They, I mean, that's the thing is, <laughs> they just hate every single part of them. They clearly have such a grudge against humans, and it's so funny because we've never even heard of the Kazinti. And yeah. I think that tells you how meaningless these wars were. Like, they lost four times, and the Kazintis just gets, like, more and more angry. And, you yeah. know, there's, like, hate slander on their home world against humans and Oh, and absolutely. I mean, like I said, like, they got their weapons literally taken away from their entire planet. Like, they're not allowed to carry weapons, which means that they must be, like, they really just hold a grudge. Yeah. And so, um... Yeah, and I also found that their tradition was definitely more Klingon-like. It was honor-bound uh, when Spock kicks the chuff captain <laughs> in the ribs, which he knows is a vulnerable spot. He doesn't even, like, fix his ribs up. He's just like, I am as you left me. We must fight to the death. He is, like, very, very ashamed that he was attacked by a, a pacifist eater of roots and leaves. So Yeah, I really think this is what the Voyager writers thought deeply about when they created the Herogen. You know, I think they saw this episode and they were like, yep. Yeah, it's just shenanigans. Yeah. It's a good time. Like, I, I do enjoy this episode. It's just hilarious that the only other Kazinti we see is in Starfleet. So that means that eventually there was some peace between the Kazinti and the humans if one was able to join Starfleet. Or maybe he was like a Kazinti who didn't want to live in the mold of Kazinti life. He absconded to Starfleet and joined, so that's good for him. I'm proud. Yeah, maybe it's like a Saru situation where he's like, you know, I have a toxic culture. I gotta get out of it. I mean, because their females are also apparently have the intelligence of like dogs, so they don't even have women. Like, what's the point? Yeah, but, but they're cats. <laughs> anyway, but they're cats, so that's great. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, Rihanna, I think it's time we wrap this up with a villain once again that we have really concentrated on for this villain series they may not be who you think about when you think about the great villains in star trek but they are absolutely the most consistent villains in every series and that is the orions we've talked about them in nearly every single one of our villain episodes yeah and this is so they originated so the the earliest we see them is in enterprise and then we see them a little bit in tos i think only in the cage right yeah only the slave girls yeah yeah only the slave and girls. in wolf in the fold briefly yeah but there's not much talk about the syndicate or anything like that in this one Kirk says, and everyone on the Enterprise says that this is an unknown vessel in an unknown species. And so this is the first time that anyone in Starfleet is officially encountering them, which, you know... Makes sense why they can't pronounce their names correctly. Yeah, and so, okay, this is a huge... What? Okay, we have to, like, stop at this stop sign because... (laughs) 
these don't even look like Orion's. Are, I mean, they only have green skin. Like, that's the only similarity. Are we sure that this is the same species? I know. It was like Gene Ronberry, like, oh, yeah, you've heard of the Orion slave girls. Now, have the Orion's. But, but like, legitimately, <laughs> I'm wondering, like, it's spelled the exact same. And mm-hmm. I'm actually going to quickly do a little wiki. Yeah, because it doesn't make sense to me why they would spell it the same and have them look similar enough, but also have the Orions themselves call themselves Orions. Like, maybe yeah. they're, like, a, a tribe of Orions that are the Orions. <laughs> I don't really know. Her face is getting more confused. As yeah, I know. It always happens when I'm on Memory Alpha. <laughs> I'm always like, that happens. This is the second appearance of a male Orion here versus the traditional pronunciation of Orion. Their unintentional light-skinned appearance is in common with the Orion character of Devenna, who appears in the first TAS outing, The Time Trap. A male Orion, whose skin had been rendered blue to pass for an Endorian, previously appeared in Journey to Babel. After this episode, the Orions would not be seen again until Borderland. So this makes the episode's third reference to the starship Potemkin. Um, yeah. So it is, because they reference Journey to Babel. They do, yeah, because these Orions, or Orions, (laughs) are going against the Babel Conference by stealing cargo and being bad, (laughs) essentially, being pirates. Yeah, so it's just, it's crazy because they just seem so much more different. But I guess, like, so just now I was searching through and I did see some pictures of male Orions from Enterprise and they actually do look a little bit (laughs) like this. Yeah, and so I think the mispronunciation of Orion, because they've never encountered them before, I guess. Yeah, it's just weird because the Orions also call themselves Orions. So there's no excuse for that. (laughs) Mm. I mean, I guess I could call myself a human. (laughs) (laughs) But like, why would you? Why would I? Yeah, exactly. Unless I was trying to be Quark. Like, that's the only reason. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we just... We, Who we, knows? There's a lot... I don't know. <laughs> I, this this is the, the fun of, of the animated series. Is like, trying to act seriously about it just gets you nowhere. <laughs> well, and also, I mean, the episode is freaking called The Pirates of Orion. And I think the Orions in general are categorized as pirates a lot of the time. Because that's the whole syndicate is, like, you know, selling stuff from other cultures that have been stolen and on the black market like they are just the largest black market and so it's interesting because the whole reason that they run into them in the first place is that spock is dying of this disease that basically depletes your cells of oxygen Mm -hmm. and your blood stops going to your lungs and so basically you're like slowly suffocating over Mm -hmm. like three or four days and so poor spock is like he's forced to work (laughs) he's on the bridge he's like Captain. Yeah. And I'm like, put him in a sleeping. <laughs> it's really like not good. And and McCoy's like, Spock, it's time for your next shot. <laughs> and they don't even and Spock is like trying to conserve energy. He's like sleeping on the job and um poor, you know, he's like, I'm trying to conserve energy. And like they don't yeah, even they're making beam him talk. Him. Yeah. They, they should have beamed him to sick babe. They make him walk all well, the way over there. This is the enterprise. They can't do site to site transport. Oh yet, god, so. like yeah, you're right, but I feel like they should they should, <laughs> they should regardless of transporter laws yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is spock damn it 
they will make it. Scotty will make it happen. But anyway, oh, he will. yeah, they're really distracted because it's going to take them four days to get to the nearest star base or the nearest planet that has his Spock's medicine. Spock needs strobulin. They can't make it to the nearest uh, location. And so that's why they have to rendezvous with the ship who has the medicine. And so it kind of makes sense that a ship like a, a species, if it's going to be selling its stuff on the black market, it's going to have a lot of crazy stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I mean, the Huron is like a dilithium transport ship. And so it already has like a huge cargo hold of dilithium. And so they're like, sure, we'll carry this one uh, drug as well. And so, yeah, they get uh, they get robbed. Essentially, they get attacked by these Orions and they steal all of their dilithium. Their cargo hold is completely empty. And then once the Enterprise intercepts them and is able to talk to them, Kirk is literally, this shows how much he loves Spock, because he's literally willing to let the Conference of Babel parameters go. Like, he's willing to forego telling Starfleet that the Orions did this. If they will give them the medicine, he's going to let them also keep the dilithium. And give them a little extra. Like, he is really <laughs> desperate. I mean, also, Spock has, like, 20 minutes to live, so I get it. Like, that's a very desperate situation. And literally, McCoy's every, like, couple minutes, he's like, seven minutes, Jim. <laughs> you're like, oh, God. They spend way too much time talking. Kirk is, like, really willing to let these Orions off the hook. And they are not going to take this juicy offer. Yeah, this is what's so funny to me about this episode is it's a weird mix of danger and then also like strangely bureaucratic <laughs> because the orions or the orions are like oh we will break the treaty and then if we break the treaty then starfleet's gonna come looking into us and we're gonna be in even more trouble so we just should like stop messing around well and not even that but they are prepared to kamikaze bomb themselves and destroy enterprise and themselves in order to keep everything a secret yeah to erase any evidence of this yeah i mean this treaty is so on tender hooks you know so that if any single orion or orion in this entire planet i guess like breaks the treaty then it all falls apart essentially um and i'm sure that trade will be stopped and all of this other stuff for them and so the Orions are hellbent on keeping this neutrality and because o Orion at the time is this neutral planet and is like a neutral party, that makes them successful, I think, for their piracy and their other syndicate actions, you know, because they are a neutral planet. The captain says, quote, all unsuccessful Orion missions end in suicide. Yep. I had no idea that, that was this was this serious for them. I didn't know that either. Yeah, it's really crazy. <laughs> yeah, they have a bomb on this asteroid that they're coming to meet Kirk to trade the medicine. They're prepared to blow up both of their ships. It's just, it turns from a day of Spock needs some drugs to we're all going to get blown up, you know, which is classic animated series. But yeah, it escalates really quickly. And I love that the solution is Kirk is yelling regulations at him. He's like, if you do this, you're going to break Star. Starfleet rule number 607 and according to this I have the right to do that and I am like this is walking books Kirk like this is this is like nerdy little Kirk from Starfleet Academy busting through and saying hey man like I'm gonna he was like I up. was at that Babel conference I journeyed to Babel yeah. he's like this treaty both understand the stakes of this treaty and the impact it's gonna have if we have this fight so just give us the drugs well and it ends up because because once he detains the captain on the Enterprise and takes away his little, like, cyanide suicide pill or whatever he has, then he's like, you have no way to die, so you're going <laughs> to stand trial. And, like, there's no reason for you to self-destruct your ship now because I have you and all of this stuff. And so they surrender and they take them to the nearest star base and Spock's fine and everything. 
Yeah, I was surprised and like impressed by Kirk's initiative and just like the way he handled this whole situation with the Orions or the Orions because they were really prepared to kill everyone in order to keep this secret safe. Absolutely. And like any good episode, this has a really epic space fight. I yeah. really like when Kirk is going to fisticuffs with this Orion captain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a classic. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Oh, <laughs> we did it! Woo! Wow, we have completed our villain series. That I, is wild. I feel like because of various breaks that we had to take throughout the summer, the villain series was really our summer series. Mm-hmm. And just like summer itself, it is coming to a close. Yeah, the fall equinox has already begun, and with fall means cozying up with a loved one and watching movies, and that's exactly what we're going to do. Yes, so please grab your hot chocolate, go to Paramount Plus or anywhere else where you can find the motion picture, and go watch it, because next week, same time, same place, we will be reviewing motion picture. So excited to do this with you, Ashlyn, and thank you so much for doing this wonderful villain series with me. I enjoyed it so much. I loved getting to talk about all of the best and baddest of Star Trek and it's way more fun when you're here. So thank you so much for doing this podcast with me. Happy International Podcast Day. Happy one year. And I just want to thank all of you for being listeners of the Dora Sisters podcast. We love you all so much and we're just so grateful. I couldn't have said it better myself, Rihanna. So, Rihanna, next week I will see you and we will go to warp in the factor of five, six, seven, eight. Oh, the jazz. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Dura Sisters podcast. Please tune in next week for the first episode of our movie series where Ashton and Rihanna will discuss Star Trek, the motion picture. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and check to see our suggested watch list for our upcoming episodes. Also take a moment to check out our content on Tumblr and TikTok. If you like what you've heard today, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. By donating any amount per month, you can become a monthly patron and unlock our exclusive reviews of Lower Decks, the animated series, and Star Trek trivia. You can find all of this and more at patreon.com slash the Dura Sisters podcasts. All new patrons who join before the beginning of the movie series will receive a free sticker. If you would like to contact us for any reason, please do so at the Dura Sisters Podcast at gmail.com. So far, we have covered these podcast series, pilot episodes, family, love and affection, and time travel. If you haven't heard a particular series, please go back and listen to any of these awesome episodes. Social media and marketing by me, Ashlyn Gelman and Rihanna Hurd. Editing is done by Rihanna Hurd and Ashlyn Gelman. Our intro, Klingon Battle, was written by Jerry Goldsmith, and our outro, Wars Revenge, is by Orillo Voltaire. Yay! Ashlyn, I know you're at work, but I'm reading Gene Roddenberry's book, The Motion Picture, and I'm like literally crying because uh, Spock is like taking the colonar, and he's like, goodbye. Jim, goodbye, my Tyla, you know, and like, then they're going to the whole thing, explaining what like Tyla, Tyla, whatever it means, and how it can mean brother or lover, and Gene Roddenberry is out here being like, Admiral Kirk supplied the following on the subject, and he's saying how Kirk was like, no homo, essentially, and like, why, Gene? He didn't have to specifically put that in, but he was, Kirk was like, I find 
no other moral objection to physical love in any of its many earthly aliens and mixed forms. I have always found the best gratification in that creature woman. Also, I would dislike being thought of of as so foolish that I would select a partner who came into sexual heat only once every seven years. Because <laughs> like I need to bang for longer. Anyway, I'm just like Jean. You didn't have to completely demolish my ship, but like it's fine. So because this is still gonna be the gayest book I've ever read in my life. Anyway, I hope you have like, a good shift because I'm just over here crying about Star Trek. Anyway, um, I love you and I'll talk to you later. Bye.